Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee. And it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out. www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. I don't even know why I'm playing music because this isn't technically an episode of the podcast. This is this episode has no number. This isn't number 50 something or whatever. This is the Friday debrief. This is the conversation I have every Friday with my patrons. And we talked about the episode Garen Wade interviews flight attendant Joe. So I thought it would be important to publish this one for the world because it's kind of a companion episode to episode number 50 where I talked about surviving sexual abuse in my childhood and how I came out the other end as normal as possible. Um, Also, I wanted to kind of give people the idea of what the Friday debrief is. And it's just me kind of talking about the week, current events, possibly also talking about what goes on What happened that week during the episode? I can barely get this out. Like I said, it's not a real episode. It's just the Friday debrief companion edition for anyone who listened to at home with, nope, that's not true, who listened to Garen Wade interviews flight attendant Joe. So if you are interested in becoming a patron, you would have access to the Friday debrief every week. And now that the podcast is going, God, the music stopped a long time ago. (laughs) And now that the podcast is going back to once a week, this is a good way to get more information. And if you really enjoy the podcast, I may have guests coming on the Friday debrief at some point. I don't know. But the guest portion of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe is going to go back to once a week. Um, And also, there'll be the Friday debrief. So that's what this episode is. I hope you enjoy it. It's a little dark, um, but there's a happy message at the end. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to this Friday debrief. It is August 28th, 2020. 57 years ago, the March of Washington occurred, and I believe there's another one going on today. So thank you guys for being out there and doing what you got to do to get the message across. 57 years. This isn't a political uh, conversation, but I just thought that was important to bring up because it's an anniversary today, and I believe there's going to be a March on Washington today also. Um, This has been a really crazy week for me and for probably millions of other people. Um, I watched the Democratic National Convention and I watched the Republican National Convention. And all I'm going to say is this before I move on to the topics that I want to talk about today. I am going to say that 
completely two different messages. And it made me realize that I'm living in a country that's so divided, it's almost like two countries, um, mentally. And a little scary, you know. Um, yes, I'm um, a registered Democrat, and I am moderate to left-leaning. Uh, but I thought it was important to watch the Republican National Convention because it's important to see what is being said. You know, they say that like 95% of people know who they're going to vote for anyway, but anyone, but I still think it's important to do your best to get as much information as possible. Um, so my outlook, not outlook, but my thoughts are the Democratic Convention seemed a little bit hopeful. It seemed like they were trying to say, hey, listen, I understand we're divided and we should pull together as a country and be strong again and, you know, be friends again with other nations who aren't run by dictators. I don't know. And what I got from the Republican National Convention was a lot of fear. Um, girl, I was ready to hide the cats in the closet and hide under the sofa until when, until the end of time. That's how I felt about that. At one point I was like, my God, this is some scary shit. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. They're actually talking about the current state of affairs. And I don't, I was confused. I was confused because I've never seen a president who's the incumbent come in and be attacking and bashing the state of the world that they're running. So I thought that was interesting. But that's all I'm going to say about that because I am trying to kind of, you know, only take in a little bit of, of all this at once. But I did think it was important, and I think it's important to watch both conventions because it's important to see and educate yourself on what is being said and what is being done and taking a temperature of each side and what they're saying. I've also decided I'm not debating this shit anymore with people. So if I know somebody who's like, yeah, but what about, nope, yeah. We've had four years to see what's going on. We've had four years to see what type of president this was gonna be. So there is no debating in this anymore. This is it. If you're on his side or you're on that side and that's what you believe, then that's what you believe and I probably don't have a lot in common with you. But let's talk about this week on the podcast. I don't even know why I had to say that. But I wanted to <clears throat> remember the March in Washington in 1963. Um, but let's talk about child abuse. No, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, a couple, of, I would say a couple of months ago. Well, I have a lot to talk about, actually. A couple of months ago, um, when I had Garen on for the adventures of Garen Wade, after we recorded, we started talking off record about my childhood. And he was just like asking me all these questions. And he would say, oh, I'm sorry to ask this, but, and you know me, <clears throat> I'll just answer anything. So I asked him, I said, you know what would be great? I would really love to get somebody to come on the show to talk about their, their journey struggling or surviving um, abuse, whether it's child abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse. I always like to see how people come out on the other end because I remember one time when I was like 20-something and I was watching the Oprah Winfrey show and there was some guy on who had like, just had a really bad life. Like he was a thief and he 
probably sexually assaulted women. Like, it, he was a train wreck. And I remember he was blaming it on being molested. And I just remember sitting at the, watching this and thinking, no, you know, you could have made other choices. You could have made, I understand, listen, I, I get it. I've, I could have easily made all the bad choices. But, you know, sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the right thing. So I'm so fascinated with people who come out the other end of any type of abuse and they're as normal as possible. Um, and normal meaning there's, there isn't even a normal meaning anymore, a definition of normal. A normal is, yeah, I don't even know what a definition of normal is anymore. But just coming out and not being a menace to society is the best way I can say it. Um, because, you know, I deal with anger issues. I'm in therapy for these things. You know, when you have an abusive childhood, it follows you for the rest of your life. You know, I know people who say, no, no, I don't I don't pay any attention to it. And I'm like, um, it didn't go away. It's still there, and you should probably deal with it. So when I was talking with Garen, I said to him, oh, you know what, I would love for you to come on the podcast and talk and interview me. Would you do that? I want to do something special for the 50th episode, and maybe you could come on and interview me. And he was like, I would love to do that. And he has a background in journalism. So I was like, this is perfect. So we set up, um, I, and I had written that letter, and I shared it on social media. Um, the letter I wrote to my 11-year-old self on my 45th birthday. Um, just saying, you know, be careful. Don't, you know, things look really bad right now, but I promise you they're going to get better. It was a, it was a, no one told me to write that. It was just something I woke up one day and I said, I'm going to do this and see what comes out. See what I produce from writing this. So I'd sent him this letter to kind of prepare him for this interview. So we, we conducted the interview and it was fucking long. It was so long. It was like what, almost three hours long. And um, I did not know he was going to start it with like a game and then talk politics and racial injustice and comedy. Like, I thought we were just going to go right into my childhood. So I think he did a great job because it kind of worked your way up into it. Like, if I would have just come out and started talking about like, oh, yeah, I was raped by my adopted father, that could have been a little harsh for people. People are just like people don't like to talk about race. Well, some people don't like to talk about racial issues. Lots of people feel very uncomfortable talking about child abuse, sexual child abuse. So I thought he did a really good job of working our way up into that. So kudos to him on that episode. He did a fantastic job. Maybe I should just let him run the podcast. <laughs> he does a better job than I do. Um, but after that, after the episode aired... Um, I was getting a lot of feedback from people this week. I was getting messages, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And when I get messages like that, it always makes me feel weird because I, um, I've been living with this truth for 40, well, yeah, I'm 47, so my whole entire life. So it's part of my DNA now. It's part of my history. It's part of, it's like me saying, oh, I have blue eyes, I have well, I'm bald now, but I had brown hair. You know, I am this much weight, and I was molested by my stepfather, Melvin, my adopted father, Melvin. His name's Melvin Shedrick. Um, he's dead now, so that's good. But we'll get to that in a minute. So I was getting a lot of messages about that, and I thought that was very kind. But 
it always makes me feel weird when people say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Because like I said, I've been dealing with it my entire life. And I think it's important for people to see that that can happen to anyone. You know, it could happen to the neighbor down the street. It could happen to jovial, fun comedian Joe Thomas, who's written books, but has this really, really painful, almost heart-wrenching past and history. And so thank you all for your lovely messages, but I don't want you to feel sorry for me because even though I'm a victim to my adoptive father's abuse, it's made me a very strong man. And it's made me somebody who tries to be a good person. You know, I fail sometimes. Sometimes I get angry. I have this new shirt that says, be kind. But now I started this new hashtag that says, hashtag be kind, rewind. <laughs> because sometimes you can't, sometimes if people are being mean and offensive to you and disrespectful to you, 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 you can't be kind. You, you know, you've, you've got to defend yourself. So that episode aired on Monday. And the weird part is, so people don't know this, but about three years ago, okay, so in 2016, Donald Trump became president and it kind of shook the entire country. And a lot of people were looking, well, how, what's my plan if I'm going to, if I've got to evacuate and, and the United States starts becoming Gilead? Like, and I know that sounds silly, but there's a lot of people in this country who believe that. There's millions and millions of people who are afraid that this country is going to become like a North Korea situation. So I was like, oh, I wonder what I, oh, I wonder what I could do. And I found out that if you are the adoptive chi adopted child of a Canadian, you can apply for Canadian citizenship. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So I started the process in the summer of 2017. It's been a long and tedious process because they, the Canadians are not quick. They do not, <laughs> they do not move fast on these things. And I would send in paperwork. I sent in as much paperwork as I had. And then like eight months would go by. And then I would get a letter saying, you didn't send this. And then you'd send that in. And then eight months would go by. Well, you forgot to do this. And you, this picture, you, you sent us this photo of you, but it can only be within a year. And because it's taken us so long to get back to you, you need to send in more photos. And then another eight months, I'm telling you. Countries do not make it easy to become citizens. So last weekend, Matt and I went off-roading with a group of new friends. And when I got home, and here's a weird thing, because usually I'm, I'm signed up for that thing where the mail will tell me what I'm getting that day. So in the morning, I get like this email that says, this, these are the letters that are coming to you today. And I didn't check it on Saturday. But when I got home, I checked the mail, and I, there was just an envelope from the consulate, Canadian in, in California, in Los Angeles. And it was just one sheet of paper, and I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. They, there's no more. And I started assuming before I even opened the letter, there's no more information I have. I cannot send you anything else. And then I ripped up the letter. I ripped open the letter and it said, congratulations, you're a Canadian citizen. From like July 22nd. So it took a month for the letter to come. I'm telling you, this is a long, long, uh, exhausting process. 
So I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, I'm Canadian. I'm a Canadian citizen. Like while I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm an American citizen and I'm a Canadian citizen. I have dual citizenship. Very, very exciting. If, if I don't even ever use it, just the fact that I have dual citizenship is, is very cool. So I went on my personal Facebook page and I commented, I wrote up a little thing. I put a little bit of the letter that said, congratulations, you're a Canadian citizen. And I wrote, it's been three years, it's taken so long, but I'm finally dual citizenship, I'm an American. And I made it fun and joking, like American Canadian. And um, people were commenting, oh, congratulations, congratulations, that's very exciting. And then one of Melvin's nephews, I don't even wanna say cousin, because I haven't been involved in these people's lives in like over three decades. So they're really just people that I knew for a very short period of time when I was very young and now I've lived 32 years away from that family. So they're, I won't even call them acquaintances. So um, Melvin's nephew, who I'm not gonna mention his name, let's just call him Jim. So Jim, Jim is a cousin of my, is Melvin's nephew, cousin I guess, legally, who, um, we had chatted every once in a while on Facebook, very sporadic. And I, um, he's the one I said, hey, when Melvin dies, I need you to let me know. I don't, need, I don't care about anything else. I just want to know when the evil's dead. I just want to know when it's over. So I was working on an airplane in October of 2016, 2017. Um, we were getting ready to board. And before the passengers came on, I looked on my phone for a minute. And I had a message from him saying, hey, Uncle Melvin's dead. And I thought I'd be able to fly the flight, but I started crying. And then I remember I got removed from the flight and they brought me down to one of the supervisor's offices. And I was crying and she was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that your dad passed away. I'm so sorry. And, and I was crying so hard and so emotional. Like she, her heart was breaking for me. And I stopped, when I finally was able to stop crying, I looked at her and I said, no, these are tears of joy. My father raped me my entire childhood and I just found out that he's dead and he's never gonna hurt anyone again. And I am so happy that I'm, these are tears of joy. Now, can you imagine having that thrown at you? Like you're the supervisor and you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm so sorry. And then when the person finally can catch their breath, they're like, no, I'm happy. This is a good thing. So I wrote this post on Facebook and, and, and me and Jim, Melvin's nephew, haven't really talked a lot since then. Since Melvin died, I was like, thank you very much. Have a great day. But we, we're still, we still follow each other on Facebook. So um, I posted this on Saturday, like, Congrat I'm so excited, I'm a Canadian, whatever. Da -da. And everyone was writing, congratulations, how do I do that? Oh, you're so lucky, you have a chance, you, you can get away now, all these fun people just being silly. And Melvin's nephew commented and he wrote, um, oh, I, I should read it to you. I, should, I have it here on my phone and I'm gonna read it to you because um, it caught me off guard. So he says, and how did you receive this? And he's talking about the, um, the citizenship. And how did you receive this? Just wondering, because you were adopted by my family. So I wrote, you, you answered your own question. I'm adopted by a Canadian. 
your dad was Canadian also. You should apply for citizenship. It takes a while, so be prepared. I thought I was being very kind to him. Even though when somebody starts a sentence with and, there, there's probably some animosity in there, right? Like, oh, and how did you? Yeah. So he responded, I just wanted to hear that from you. LOL. Enjoy dual citizenship. Glad to know that something good came out of your experience it being part of my family. So I read that sitting on the sofa and I was reading this and Matt was in the kitchen behind me. And I was like, do I respond? I don't know. Should I respond? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know what to do. And so I said, you know what? I'm the emotional train wreck one. Matt is the stable one who, you know, thinks clearly, he's rational, he's logistical, he'll, t he'll be honest. So I, I turned around, I said, hey, I want to read this to you. And I shared this information with him. I said, do I respond to this? And I was thinking he was going to say, Joe, no, don't lower yourself to that level. Don't even worry about it. Just let it go. But he was in the kitchen at the sink and he turned, he looked up at me, he said, Oh, no, 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 you should respond to that. You should respond to that immediately. And you should call out that his uncle raped you for 10 years. And it was just this moment of, wow, because Matt's usually the one who's like, don't interact with crazy people on social media. Don't do that. You know, don't waste your time. And that's what I thought he was going to say. But he kind of flipped the script on me. And he was like, no, no, you should do that. So I responded in this. I responded with this comeback. I said, Nothing good came of being in your family. I'd give up this Canadian citizenship in a second if I could avoid Melvin Shedrick stealing my childhood and raping me for 10 years. Um, he never responded back, of course, because how do you respond back? Like, um, I talked to my therapist about it the other day, and he said, well, that's your trump card. Who would come to you? Who would even try to challenge you when you are the one who was raped by his uncle. That's your, he said Trump card. And I said, let's call it a Biden card. <laughs> because yeah. Um, so I, I was thinking through the whole time, it took me a couple days to actually not, I wouldn't even say I was angry about it. I was just kind of like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like, are you seriously that dumb that you're going to come after me? Like the guy who was, raped by your uncle, I'm still kind of on the fence of I'm surprised by it. And I understand that this guy is trying to, um, you know, protect his family name. I get that. You know, I understand that. I'm not an idiot. But at the end of the day, this entire family protected a child abuser. When this man, in the episode that I talked about, um, he was arrested after my parents got divorced. Melvin remarried another woman who had three kids. And then he was touching this boy inappropriately in front of a friend. And the friend called the police. And Melvin was taken into custody. And they called me. And when I was 16 years old, I shared all this in the podcast episode. Um, once he got out, the new wife didn't press charges. And he fled to, back to Canada. And then his family protected him for the rest of his life. So I understand you're trying to um, defend your family name, but unfortunately, your family's kind of shitty. 
And you have to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, my family's shitty for protecting a child abuser. And I have my own family now and I'm trying to rebuild and act like that didn't happen or not that it didn't happen, but try to move forward. But but he really should have acknowledged that his uncle is a rapist, a child rapist, not just, and I'm not saying not just a rapist, but a rapist of children, which in my mind, I know raping adults is bad, but I don't know. I think child abusers are worse. So I was really kind of on the fence about that. And, um, and I was a little on the fence about responding, being angry, how I should feel about this. And, um, I, like I said, I responded to him and um, I was just really surprised that he would do that because what he was basically saying was, you know, you've been bashing my family for a long time, which, you know, I, I don't know if calling out a pedophile is bashing your family, but if it is, okay, I'm fucking bashing your family. If, if you think me calling out my child rapist, the person who took 10 years of my life and raped me and molested me. If I'm calling that person out, if you think I'm, I'm bashing your family, then so be it. Right. But, um, he was trying to make me, he was trying to point a finger and saying, hi, you've been bashing my family all these years. And now you're, now you got something out of it. And so that's why I had to respond and say, listen, I was, you know, I would give I would give up Canadian citizenship in a second if I hadn't been molested for 10 years. That's just ignorant. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I saw that I could get Canadian citizenship, I said, "Oh fuck. Yeah. Melvin did a lot of shitty things to me. So if I could get some if I can get dual citizenship out of this relationship, then I'm going to do it and I don't feel guilty about it." Right? I mean, that makes sense. So, when I talked to my therapist, on Wednesday about it, because this happened on Saturday. By Wednesday, I was still thinking about it. On Wednesday, I was still thinking about it. I was like, this is bullshit. Should I be angry? Is it okay to be angry? Like, I'm angry. Why am I even friends with these people on Facebook who I haven't even seen in 35 years? Like, what's the point of even being involved in this family? Um, because it was so weird. Like, that letter came on Saturday. This, is, this situation occurred with... Um, cousin Jim, Melvin's nephew. But then like three or four days before that, another one of Melvin's nieces, a niece of Melvin had sent me a message on Facebook to tell me that one of Melvin's brothers was hit by a car and died. He's older. He's probably in his sixties. My first instinct was like, why the fuck do I, don't, why are you telling me? I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I don't even have that last name anymore. Like, I don't care about you people. Like, why don't you understand that? Um, and of course my husband was like, well, you know, she's probably not thinking you specifically. She's just reaching out to anybody in the family who might know anybody who might know this person who was killed. I was like, yeah, but I don't care. So all this has happened this week. And then the Republican national convention, and I was supposed to record a podcast episode on Wednesday that was going to be released on Thursday. And I just, I wasn't feeling well. I wasn't feeling, you know, I had, worked myself up into such a, an emotional state regarding the podcast episode, listening to the podcast episode, having people come out and say they're sorry for my childhood, becoming a Canadian citizen, having this interaction with my cousin, Melvin's nephew, all these things. And it had just 
turned my stomach inside out. It, it, my entire body was aching. And I was just like, I can't, I, I, I can't record an episode of the podcast feeling this way because I'm not going to be myself. Um, even when I was on my therapist call on Wednesday, my therapist, I was like, you know, I'm so, I know I usually have all the jokes and I'm very uplifting and I'm very positive, but today I'm just not, I'm just trying to literally get through this hour because I want you to get paid by the insurance company. <laughs> he said, well, thank you. And I was like, well, we all need to pay the rent. Um, so that's why there was no episode yesterday because mentally I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't, there was just too much going on. And one thing that we have to remember is that when we're having emotions like that, or we're feeling like that, we have to ride the ride. It's more dangerous, I think, to ignore the feelings, to sweep them under the rug, because these feelings don't go away. And so I like to sit with them. It's almost like a meditation. I just sit with them. Maybe I'll watch a movie. I don't do anything too heavy. Like I can't focus on reading. But I watch... <laughs> I watched the Twilight Saga, all four movies, one, two, three, five movie. God, five movies of vampires. But um, yeah, it just it's been a, it was a really crazy, crazy week. And then we I found out that over eight thousand American Airlines flight attendants are being furloughed. Just a lot this week. And did I mention the Republican National Convention? Um, just a lot going on. So I hope if you guys are having a difficult time or struggling with things that you will also give yourself a little bit of space, mental health, take care of yourself. Don't try to do too much. But yeah, I'm a Canadian citizen now. So what does that mean? Let me tell you something about Canada. I'm already annoyed with them <laughs> because they send you this letter that says, congratulations, you're a Canadian citizen. Now you have to send in more information. It's always more. Nothing's easy. Nothing is easy. So yay, here's your letter. Congratulations, you're a Canadian citizen. Welcome to Canada. But you can't use this letter to, as a form of, you know, citizenship. You have to apply to get your certificate of citizenship. But what, well, if you sent me the letter that says I'm a citizen, why wasn't the certificate included? I'm, I don't understand. That makes no sense to me. That is literally makes no sense to me. But okay, so I got the letter on Saturday. Monday, I immediately sent in another form requesting the certificate. And I guess that's kind of like the thing you get when you become an American citizen. You don't get a birth certificate, but you get a certificate of citizenship. So I'm going to get one of those from Canada. It'll probably take a long time because if I've learned anything about this process is that nothing is easy. And there's not even, and here was another thing. In the letter it said, like, make sure your address is correct so we can send the certificate of citizenship to your address. But then on the form, it never mentions the, there's no box that says send it to me at home. It's like, send it here. Send it to the consulate in Los Angeles. Send it here. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? You're not making this easy. So I sent that out. So once I get that, I will be able to apply for a Canadian passport. Then I'll have a United States passport and a Canadian passport. Because I'm a dual citizen, ho! <laughs> oh, I'm having my coffee. So, um, so yeah. So this is kind of like a companion conversation after you listen to the episode where Garen interviewed me. 
I guess you figured that out. I keep hitting my finger on this thing. I'm trying to do this microphone in a different way so I don't have to stare up. I can kind of just talk normal and then it's right below my mouth. Um, but yeah, the conversation with Garen, there was so much that I didn't get to say. I could have probably talked another three hours. Um, because my childhood wasn't just the sexual abuse. It was also lot verbal, physical, lots of mental abuse. Um, I witnessed my mom attempt suicide twice. Once when I was like five, she took a lot of pills. Another time when I was eight or nine and she slit her wrists in the kitchen. Um, and this, this, this memory is so vivid to me because it was... I was eight or nine and I was sitting on the sofa and Melvin came into the living room and he said, I'm, go I'm going to bed. Don't leave this living room. Don't go into the kitchen. And then my mom was screaming in the kitchen and he said, die bitch. And he went to bed and, um, I was so scared. And the, my mom was in the kitchen with Melvin's brother who had been massively in love with her for years. I know it's, it's like the Real Housewives. No, it's not even like the Real Housewives. It's like a lifetime movie. It's absurd. When I say those things out loud, sometimes I think, this doesn't sound real, but I promise you it's real. So she had gone to bed. And the weirdest part was she went to bed with Melvin. So imagine you're fighting with your husband. He tells you to die. You slit your wrist because you want to commit suicide. But really, she was just crying for help because she cut her wrist very superficial, but enough to bleed all over the house all over the kitchen. So I went to bed. Um, Melvin's brother bandaged her up and then she went to bed and I think he slept on the sofa. But in the morning I got up and I went into the kitchen and it looked like there had, it was a murder scene. There was blood everywhere. Now at 47, I would probably walk into the kitchen and say, oh yeah, that's not a lot of blood. But when you're eight and you know your mom was in there and she hurt herself and you know, a one spot, but it wasn't a splot. There were like big splashes of blood all over the kitchen floor. It looked like a murder scene. Um, so imagine at eight years old when you see that. It, it just fucked me up in my head. And um, the craziest thing about this family was I would wake up and I would think, oh, shit's going to be fucking nuts now. I mean, she just slit her wrist in the kitchen and she's bleeding all over and Melvin went to bed like this relationship's over, this relationship's over. Um, but no, it was, would you like eggs and bacon for breakfast? And because Melvin would call my mother, Irene, dear, dear, do you want coffee? And I can remember sitting there at eight years old, eight years old and thinking, are you, are you kidding? Uh, whoa, like, am I dreaming? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you just you were going to kill yourself over this guy last night, and now you're making eggs and bacon. Um, that's why, to this day, I don't like to just um, sweep things under the rug. Like, if I have an argument with my husband or I have an argument with a friend or whatever, I like to resolve it as quickly as possible. Because I don't like the idea of, Oh, you said something really shitty to me and now I'm going to act like it didn't happen. No, no, we're going to have to talk about it. We're going to have to figure something out regarding what happened. Um, but I don't I didn't share that in the podcast episode cuz it didn't come up. I did talk about how I would have to pull Irene out of the bushes when I was like 4 years old, which has put me on this trajectory of really having to be careful not to be codependent. 
Um, and I noticed, I know that now, but in my twenties and thirties, I would meet people that were pretty damaged. Like all my, uh, all my friends were just damaged human beings for whatever reason. I had a, you know, I had one friend who stole my social security number to open up a, a phone in their name. Um, like just horrible, horrible people. But these were the people I was drawn to because I thought I could save them because I couldn't really save Irene. And um, in the episode with Garen, I talked about, and I was really surprised I shared this. This is how comfortable I was talking about it. I shared um, my story about how when I was like 14, 15, um, I had this plot to kill my, my adopted father who was raping me. Because in my mind, I thought, if I get rid of him, everything will be okay. Because he's the problem. He's the one who's drunk all the time. He's raping me. He's beating up Irene. He's beating me up. He's, he's just an, he's just, he's like a virus. He's just so awful. So if I get rid of him, Irene will be normal. I will be normal. We'll have a normal life. It'll be great. And I'm 14, 15. Who's going to put me in prison for life? Um, I had the details down packed. I knew exactly what I was going to do. And now as an adult, I feel that makes me sad because I can't imagine having a, a 14 year old kid who sits in their room. Excuse me. There's a dog barking. I have the windows open. It's a very nice day. Um, I can't imagine having a 14 year old child who should be thinking about being a freshman in high school or in the eighth grade and thinking about just being a kid a ma who is actually plotting the death of their rapist father. I mean, that makes me sad. I, I know that I've, I've shared so many stories about being raped and molested by Melvin and abuse and stuff like that. But out of all the things that have happened, that is the one thing that I really can, I just sit back and it makes me sad because you know, when you're a 14 year old, you're going through so much already. You're, you're going through puberty. You know, you like girls. My case, I liked boys. I didn't understand it. All my friends were dating girls. I, I got a girlfriend or I would, I wouldn't really get girlfriends, but I would say things like, Oh, that girl's, they would be like, Joe, don't you like anyone? Why aren't you dating? And I'd be like, Oh, I like that girl, but she doesn't like me. And then they'd be like, Oh, cause you're a nerd. And then they'd move on. And then I'd be like, okay, good. I'm safe. Um, because, you know, I was a gay kid. So I was dealing with that also while sitting in my bedroom plotting the murder of my rapist father. Makes me very sad. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sharing all these things and I'm talking about Irene. And so it's been a rough week. I, I just lost track of what I was thinking about because when I get too deep into that stuff, um, it's almost like drowning. And it's kind of like when you wade into the water and the water lap, you know, the water splashes up to you. Those are the memories, right? And then I, I get in deeper and I get in deeper and then the memories, they're getting higher and higher. And then at some point when I talk about it so much, it kind of gets right up to my nose where I could still breathe, but I could drown very easily. So, um, so that's, that's kind of my, that's kind of how I think about talking and sharing the stories about my childhood. Um, and I also try to remind myself, and if you're listening and if you've had a 
if you had a chaotic childhood, if you had anything happen to you that was not your fault, you're a child. Remember, you know, when you're a child, you're a kid and you look up to your parents to save you, to protect you. And when they don't protect you, you're kind of on your own. And I'm still dealing with the effects of what happened to me 40 years ago. There's always somebody that's worse off than me. I just said this to my husband the other day. I said, you know, I was raped. I have verbal, sexual, you know, abuse, mental abuse, all the abuses. But no one ever put a cigarette on on me. Um, and there's people out there that have probably had everything that happened to me and also had cigarettes put out on them or were kicked in the face. Or, you know, I shared that moment um, when Melvin backhanded me on the episode. He backhanded me and ripped my lip with his. He used to wear these big gaudy rings. I don't fucking know. And um, one time, you know, when the when the sexual abuse stopped, and you can see I'm having a hard time with this today, this morning, because I'm still kind of emotional about my week. But when the sexual abuse stopped, it became more physical. Like I said in the episode, we would fight like he, we would fight like we were. Well, he was an adult; I was still a teenager, thirteen, fourteen years old. But we would fight very physically. Um, and I wasn't. That wasn't a lie that time I said we got into a fight in the kitchen and I was, I jumped on him and I was kneeling on his back and I was putting pressure on his neck and I had a butcher knife in my hand and I was going to kill him. And Irene screamed, Joe, don't do it. Um, one time I pushed him over a coffee table because he was trying to hit my mother. You know, he broke Irene's ankle. When Irene and I escaped him on the Greyhound bus to, to Orlando, she had a broken ankle. We were driving, we were, we went from Hartford, Connecticut to Orlando, Florida on a bus. She had a broken ankle and the whole time she was bitching at me that I was making her leave her husband. It's ridiculous. But I always try to remind myself that other people had it worse than I did. And it has helped me to manage all the pain inside my head because then I can say, yeah, what happened to me was terrible. What happened to me is awful. I wouldn't wish this on anyone. But be grateful because there are people that have it worse than you. And um, I think that's helped. That's just kept me grounded. Because if you think, you know, if you think the worst things have happened to you, then you might not be able to have empathy for other people. Because you'll think, me, 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 me. I've had the worst experience. And yeah, I had a really bad experience. And a lot of people have. Um, but there's always someone out there who's had it a little bit worse than you. And I and that's always kept me grounded as a person with this history. Um, I had somebody ask me this week, um, are you a, do you, you know, would you go back and change it? If you could go back, would you change it? Well, I wouldn't go back and kill him because on the episode I shared how that would have probably just, I'd probably be dead now in a street or something. Um, but who knows? Maybe I wouldn't. It's a hard question to answer because I, um, I, I'm glad it did. I, I didn't want it to happen. I'm not glad it happened to me. Absolutely not. 
but I would be a different person today. I might not be as strong as I am today. So yes, I would go back and change it if I could, but that's not an option. So I have to deal with the cards that have been handed to me. And I think I've done a pretty well job. Um, so that's that answer to that is, I would go back and change it, but I can't because that's not possible. Um, and I'd be a different person now. Would I be as strong as I am? Would I, you know, if I re never met Melvin, I wouldn't have had any of those experiences. And, but would I be better off? I don't know. Because remember in the episode I shared, like if I killed him, Irene would be normal and we'd be loving family and with all that bullshit. But really, once we escaped Melvin and we got back to Florida, um, and when we moved to Florida and we lived with my grandparents, I quickly realized Irene was fucked up anyway. So she would, you know, she was going to be who she was no matter if she had Melvin in her life or not. So unfortunately, I was just, I was, my mother was somebody who should never have been a mother. Um, and I'm glad she didn't abort me. Uh, but she's definitely someone who should never have had children. And I think that happens, right? I think a lot of times people have kids and you're like, God, that woman, that person should not have children. And that was my mom. <laughs> so this has been a very dark conversation. I'm very sorry for that. But it's like a companion episode to the interview with Garrett, just so I could go deeper into um, a few things. But you guys, I hate to say it, you guys have a great weekend. Um, I would, I want to leave you guys on a happy note because this has been so depressing. <laughs> Not depressing. Um, these are the conversations that people have to have. These these are the conversations. You can't act like these things don't happen. You you know, it's not productive to live in a bubble and to not talk about these things. While I'm talking to you, I'm actually looking at a photo of my biological father, the one who encouraged my mother to, you know, abort me, and my three siblings who I just met a couple years ago. And I'm looking at that picture, and I'm smiling. Um... But it's almost like I'm looking at someone else because I spent so many years disliking that person for abandoning me and for thinking, what would my life be like if my real dad saved me? I used to think that my real dad was going to come and save me, but he was never coming to save me. I had to find him. I'm the child who had to find the father who wanted to abort him. Sure, he came around in a taxi and he looked at, he tried to see me. He wanted to see what his kid looked like. He would go visit Irene at her job. Let me see pictures of my son. And she would say, no, you didn't want him then. You can't see a photo of him now. Do I agree with that? No, I don't. I um, I don't think I agree with that because who is she? To, she should have showed him a picture of me at least. But I wasn't there. Well, I was there, but I was too young to remember. Um. But I have no animosity towards my biological father. I have forgiven him for not being in my life, for requesting me to be aborted, and for acting like I wasn't alive or didn't exist. Um, you know, 
one of the surprises from my siblings, they were so shocked when they met me, when they found out about me, because they had no clue I existed. I knew they existed, because my mom had told me, but they had no clue I existed. And I was so scared when I was first going to meet them. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, oh my God, should I, am I angry at them? I'm 45. Am I angry at them? I don't know. And Matt sat down and said to me, you really, you have no basis of being angry because he hasn't really done anything to you. He wasn't in your life. So he didn't really do anything bad to you. He just wasn't in your life. So you have no history with him. So when I finally got to meet my biological father, I embraced him for who he was, this quirky 80-some, he's 90 now, which helps, which makes me feel good because my mother died at 56, and I really just thought my days were numbered. Well, they still could be, but um, knowing that half of my DNA can live to be 90 years old, I'm pretty excited about that. But when I met him, I didn't bring any negative baggage. I just came with the idea of, I'm going to meet my biological father. And then I found out he had a, a sense of humor. He was very sarcastic. He's sat satirical. He said inappropriate things. And I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm his son, which was, which was good. So that's the positive I'm going to leave you off on this Friday debrief today is that I was very surprised that when I met him, I didn't have any animosity. And I, I embraced him with like I was meeting an old friend. I was meeting somebody who, I, oh, I know, I've heard about you. I knew you existed. And now I get to meet you. And this is exciting. I'll probably never see him again. I met him once. I got to hug him. We got to chat. Um, he asked me the silliest thing. Why would you pick me as your father? And I said, well, that's not how it works. <laughs> but that's cute. Um, and I have siblings now. And the end of this chapter is a positive one because I was abandoned as a child by this man. And as I was growing up, I didn't really care to him. You know, in my early years, I wanted to meet him. But then in my like late 20s, early 30s, I didn't really care too much about him. I really just wanted to meet siblings because as an only child, I always wanted to know what it was like to have siblings. And at the end of this story, I've met my siblings and I've met my biological father and I don't have animosity towards him and my rapist is dead and my mother is dead. And now I can live a life where there's only love and there's no fear and I'm not in survival mode anymore. I'm in growth mode, like I said in the podcast episode. And now I can focus on just being a good person. And I don't have to worry too much about the boogeyman. The boogeyman's gone. And that's how I'm going to end this conversation today. If you have a boogeyman, don't let them have control over you anymore because they don't. All right. This has been deep. Oh my God. All right. You guys have a great weekend. Oh yeah. I'm going to talk all about this. You guys have a great weekend, but listen, don't become, dr don't drown yourself in the drama of the world. Take little bits at a time. That can be politics, that can be health related, that could be the pandemic. Don't put too much on your plate. Because what I find is when I put too much on my plate, uh, there's no way I can get through half of it. 
So you guys have a great weekend. Take care. And on Monday's episode, it'll be me and my husband again for At Home with Joe and Matt. And I think we're going to talk about current events and we may have some edibles. You guys have a great weekend and I will see you next week.